Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Perfect Imbalance. On this show, we bring together conversation and expertise. My name is Jeff Way, and I'm the founder of Perfect Imbalance, the first podcast to challenge the myth of work-life balance and explore alternatives for improving overall well-being. Each week, I'll be interviewing different thought leaders, elite sports performers and entrepreneurs to understand how they are achieving happiness, success and greater fulfilment in their lives. So here's to you, the listeners, joining us each week. Welcome to Perfect Imbalance. On this episode, I share my interview with Michelle Falcon, entrepreneur, keynote speaker and author of A People First Culture. During this discussion, Michel gives us insight into his background and how he took his learnings from 1-800-GOT-JUNK into setting up his own advisory business focused on helping other organisations with company culture, employee engagement and customer experience. Three topics that he talks very passionately about. Michel also shares with us what it takes to be a people-first culture, also the title of his excellent book, and why most companies won't become people first. He leaves us thinking about you work for your employees, they don't work for you as a benevolent leader, and also during the course of this discussion, Michelle also shares insights into his own routines and why he makes well-being a priority every day. Here's Michelle. Michelle, thank you very much indeed for taking some time out to come on to the show. It's an absolute pleasure to be able to spend some time with you. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Now, from a listener perspective, I'm sure, uh, as always, they're intrigued to find out what my guests are about. So can you describe what it is you do and why people want to work or interact with you? Yeah, so I've built a career off of three topics, um, that being company culture, employee engagement, and customer experience strategies. I just happened to be in hospitality today, uh, but it, it didn't always start that way. Uh, 10 years ago, I was working for a very popular North American company called 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And if you're residing in North America or Australia, you know that this company has blue trucks driving on the road, similar to what FedEx might have on the road. And uh, two people will show up to your home or your business if you're trying to discard things. Um, maybe in your office, it's office chairs and desks. Maybe at your home, it's that fridge in the garage that you no longer use anymore but people will pay this organization to get rid of things uh, this company started in 1989 and today they do hundreds of millions of dollars in sales uh, hundreds of franchises thousands of employees and just a very true true business and, and what I mean by that is it's still owned by the same person that started it it's not publicly traded there's no outside capital it's just a just the most authentic entrepreneurial story you could come across. Uh, in 2008, uh, I joined the organization. Uh, pardon me, end of 2007, uh, I joined the organization. And um, 
I was looking for some change. Uh, the reason why was because I was in uh, post-secondary university and in, in business school. And, and I'm not an academic. And, and I don't say that proudly. Um, I, I feel like a lot of people are uh, kind of celebrating being a college dropout. I, I just, I'm, I'm not saying it for that regard. I, I just not a great academic learner. So oh, I still wanted to learn how to grow businesses. Uh, so I found out, uh, I researched what companies were great in the local market that I was living in. At the time, it was Vancouver. I joined 1-800-GOT-JUNK. They had a slogan called, It's All About the People. And it was there uh, during my five-year uh, tenure with the company that I learned that, you know, a company culture, employee engagement, customer experience, these things aren't just nice-to-haves. They're absolutely imperative if you want to grow a very genuine business. And, and keep in mind that this was in 2008. Um, not many people were talking about these subjects. Uh, so I was early to the game, uh, spent five years there. Um, then I left to start an advisory firm. So companies would hire me to help them with those uh, three topics. Uh, started off with very humble beginnings, uh, working with very small companies. Uh, at times had, you know, struggling to find clients because, again, people didn't really understand what these topics were. And at this time now, it's about 2012. Um, but the awareness was growing. And then in 2016, I moved to Toronto uh, to join my now business partners uh, to start a hospitality company. And uh, we opened up uh, a couple of venues um, in downtown Toronto. Uh, went from zero employees and zero revenue to uh, nearly $20 million a year in revenue and uh, nearly 200 employees in a very, very short period of time. And it was there that I got to bring my strategies, uh, my people first strategies is what I call them now. And uh, we've done pretty well. And uh, in October 2018, I wrote a book about uh, the people first culture. And most recently, just launched an online course uh, with a different name. But um, yeah, been keeping busy. That that's kind of the first, uh, the last uh, ten years of my life summarized in just a couple of minutes. I love it, Michelle. And I, I want to unpack some of that with you. You're ahead of the curve in in terms of people culture and and putting people first. Um, you, you put a big emphasis on on this, and and I know through reading your book. Uh, and getting some insight in, into your organizations that this is at the forefront of, of what you do. Can can you explain a little bit more about what developing a people-first culture involves and, 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 and how you've gone about it? Certainly. Uh, the way that I define a people-first culture is building an organization that your employees and customers admire. But you know, I, I don't think anyone would say, you know what, I don't want to be admired. I, I think 100% of people would say, yeah, you know what, sign me up for that. But if that's the case, why is it that most companies fall short of becoming admired by both their customers and their employees? Um, I'm about to speak at an event after this podcast and in preparation for um, the keynote when I was speaking to the conference organizers, uh, they said, you know what, our organization is very focused on our clients. Um, we need to shift some of that focus over to our employees. 
And I don't think one can um, be without the other. I think they're two pieces in a pod. As a matter of fact, I coach my management team to focus 80% of their time on the employee experience and 20% of the time on the customer experience uh, because one is an outcome of the other. And whether that's 80-20 or 70-30, the majority of your time should be focused on your team. And I know that you know this isn't perhaps me saying that it isn't going to be a paradigm shift for, for your listeners because they've probably heard that before. But my recommendation is, and, and perhaps a challenge to anybody listening to this, is like take a look at your strategic plan for the rest of the year and, and for 2020. Like, how much emphasis are you really putting on your employees? Like, how are you recruiting? How are you interviewing? How are you training? How are you onboarding? Uh, do you have employee advisory boards? Like, it's very easy to say that you're employee centric, but someone like me will say, okay, let me see your operating plan for the year. Let's see what strategic initiatives you're deploying. More often than not, respectfully, I'll, I'll catch the person that I'm speaking to with their pants down saying, you know what? You know, I'll say this in a diplomatic fashion and, and not to be rude, but like you're really not actually that focused on your voice. You say you are, but you're not. That is a real mind shift uh, for, for a lot of people and a lot of organizations because you're right. Um, they, they buy into the idea of putting people first um, or, or being people focused. But actually, when you scratch belief beneath the surface, actually what you see is, is, is something very different. Why do you think organizations are, are on the one hand happy to say that they're, they're all about people, but then behind the scenes or underneath, and there's a, a large proportion of them that are just giving it some, some lip service. What, what are you picking up as you're speaking to those organizations? I've actually thought about this question a lot. And, and just for the listeners, um, Jeff has not prepared me uh, with these questions. So I'm really happy that you asked me this because it's a conversation that I'm having with uh, you know, professionals all the time. I think there's three key reasons why an organization or professional won't become people first. And the first is that they've never been taught how to, like they don't know the strategic initiatives that go into building this type of culture, such as employee advisory boards, how to properly survey your team and, and things like that. Um, and this can impact both employees and customers, but the first is knowledge, right? Like if in business schools today, the education is failing the student. Uh, they're very focused on things that are also very important, like reading a P&L statement and, and things like that. But it's like, where's the cultural education? Uh, so that is the first thing, is lack of education. It's like, okay, but what do I do? What do I do next? Um, the second is DNA. Do you have the DNA to care about a stranger? So what I mean by that is, your employees, your customers at one point are going to be a stranger to you. Hopefully you develop a relationship and that's not the case after a bit of time. But do you have the DNA to be benevolent, uh, to be a servant leader? You know, call what it is. Some people are just jerks and people don't like to be led by that jerk anymore. So there are individuals that are going to need to change their managerial skill set and the way that they lead their team like if you look at my world um in hospitality uh, gordon ramsay the celebrated chef 
was uh, uh, applauded for being this great restaurateur. But like, look how he led. Like, who wants to work for somebody like that? Not, not anybody in, in this changing demographic, in this younger demographic. Nobody wants to be led by an individual like that. But if you ask my father, who grew up in a different era, he'd say, well, that was the norm for me. So the second reason is the DNA. Do you know how to, do you have the DNA to be a servant and benevolent leader? and actually care about a stranger and put others before you because to build a people first culture you have to recognize that you work for your employees your employees don't work for you and then the third reason is the ability to think long term uh, if i'm recommending to a company that they need to revitalize their interview strategy to be able to um, really put an emphasis on culture and customer experience uh, before skill set, uh, if I'm going to recommend that uh, an organization needs to completely revitalize their onboarding and training programs uh, or create an employee advisory board or whatever strategic initiative I would recommend, the results of your effort aren't going to happen overnight. This isn't a Facebook ad campaign. It's going to take time. And of course, it's going to take time because I'm asking you to build stronger relationships with your employees and your customers. I'm on a crusade to bring the gap, to bridge the gap between the relationships that we have in our personal life and our professional lives. Because if you think about the relationships we have in our personal lives, we didn't marry the first person that looked at us, right? We didn't become best friends with, with somebody overnight. Right? It took time to develop and nurture these relationships. So why is it that the relationships in our professional lives are any different? Why are the expectations different? So those are the three key reasons why I think uh, a company and a leader within that company won't build a people-first culture where customers and employees admire the brand. It makes perfect sense when you share it the way that you've shared it with the examples that, that, that you've provided, yet I'm sure not just for myself, but, but other people listening, they'll be, they'll be thinking, well, why, why can't we do this? Why, why don't we do this uh, in, in organizations? Now, you do put a lot of emphasis uh, and, and certainly drawing it from the book around individuals' personal purpose and making sure others feel safe. Can you give us a, a couple of an examples of, of, of what that looks like and, and so that people can get their head around it? Yeah, so we, um, within our organization, we have something called the partner promise. So our, my business partners and I have an open door policy. Uh, if they feel like their managers are not um, listening to their feedback, they have our direct telephone numbers and email addresses to contact us directly. Um, we make time um, every week to do something we call breakfast and jam. So every Tuesday morning, I will go to the same restaurant. It's actually a competitor restaurant and uh, sit down with one employee a week and talk to them about things related to work or things unrelated to work. They define the agenda, um, helping them make, make them feel safe in the workplace, not physically, like necessarily, like, uh, but like safe in their career, safe in that, you know what, somebody has my back here. Somebody's supporting me. So during these conversations, we'll ask, like, you're here today. Where do you want to be in the next 
12 months with or without the company. Um, I stopped monitoring employee retention as a KPI within our business because I actually want people to leave. If they aspire to do something else, then, you know, I want to help facilitate that transition for them. So for example, I have uh, one of our top three bartenders in our system, and we have many, many bartenders, is a gentleman named Riley Cox. And Riley, 30 days ago, graduated from university uh, with a master's in biotech. Like, I don't need to tell you how intellectual this individual is. Uh, but his purpose in his career isn't to be our next general manager or to stay in hospitality for much longer. Um, so once he graduated, I now have to become his recruiter. I need to find him, a new, myself and our management team need to find him his next great opportunity. So he so happens to want to work in biotech or in the cannabis industry. It's our job to get him there. Right? So that's why people feel safe in our organization is because they know that we have their best interests in mind. I don't see our team as workers or as employees. We all are partners in building this organization. If you want to grow within the company, fantastic. I love to hear that. Let's get you that next promotion. But if that same employee said, you know what, I actually want to do something else, I'm okay with that too. I'll go even as far as saying if somebody said, I want to start a restaurant on my own, I would say, fantastic. You know, would you let me invest? Like it's, it, I'm not somebody that's holding all these trade secrets or handcuffing people to their desks. Like that's just not the proper human behavior. You wouldn't do that in your personal life. So why would you behave that way in your professional life? For some people listening, that that's a breath of fresh air because you're, you're pointing out the obvious, but the, the, the reality is very few people or, or certainly less people than we'd like to uh, realize actually go to work each day and, either enjoy what they do or, or feel that sense of, of safety whereby if it's not something that they want to do, if they do have ambitions or aspirations elsewhere, they can talk openly about it and share it with people like yourselves and the other partners and you will help and enable and facilitate those things to happen. A lot of people get to the point where whereby they, they realize they want to do something else and, and then it becomes a painful process of leaving an, an organization. It sounds very much what you've created is very different to that, Michelle. Yeah, and, and it comes back to this. My understanding with my team is I'm going to help you with or without the company. But the understanding is this. I need you to help the business and contribute to the culture. So while you're here, I'm going to make sure that you can secure your livelihood by earning income. I'm going to pay you on time. I'm going to give you learning and development, and I'm going to give my whole self to you as a leader. But I need you to give your whole self to our customers and to our culture. Can we agree on that? Yes. That's our contract quote-unquote contract. That's a verbal agreement. And if we want our team to deliver great experiences to our customers, we must first do it to them. Like, we must first do it to our employees because they need to know that we, as leaders, also have a part 
in creating great experiences, but they also need to experience what that looks and feels like. So that's why you, you hear of internal experiences happening to propel external experiences to customers, suppliers, vendors, investors, the community, and many other entities that interact with your brand. I agree wholeheartedly. And I'm quickly replaying in my own mind the organizations I've, I've either worked in or, or I've worked for over the years. And I can categorically hand on heart say that, <laughs> that I've not experienced that. And I think that's what has drawn me to you know, wanting to understand from, from you how, how you're able to do this because it, it, it does feel right in terms of timing. It is what a lot of the younger generation um, are saying they either want uh, or don't want indirectly uh, through, through their actions. Michelle, I'm, I'm, I want to understand a little bit more about you and, and break you down a little bit in the nicest possible sense. What are some of your own strengths or traits that, that have allowed you to you know, develop and, and evolve in, in this way? Yeah, um, good question. And I didn't come to this realization until actually maybe this year. And um, the founder and CEO of uh, 1-800-GOD-JUNK is uh, still a friend of mine. His name is Brian, Brian Scudamore. And I interviewed him um, several months ago, but this year, sometime this year. And at the end of the conversation, I said, you know what, Brian, thank you so much um, for building this company because it helped me be the leader I am today. He corrected me and said, it wasn't 1-800-GOD-JUNK that did that. It was your family. It was your mom and your dad. Brian has met my mom many, many times because my mom works at Air Canada at the airport in Vancouver and Brian travels a lot and they run into each other here and there. So he's gotten to know her. And I have, there is a, a line completely drawn to my parents and my upbringing. Um, perhaps being South American, we're very hospitable people. Uh, and it's formed my leadership style. I would like to think I'm a, a benevolent leader. I have well-meaning things I do. But when I speak to people about being a benevolent and servant leader, I think there's a misconception that we are soft, that we aren't stern. Believe me, if my P&L comes out on, in two consecutive weeks and we're not turning a profit, I'm going to be upset and I'm going to be asking some hard questions. But that's dormant in me. Um, I lead by being benevolent and a servant leader. And I just have faith in humanity that if you hire the right people, if you build a team of individuals that align with your values, both inside and outside of the workplace, great things can happen. You know, I, I have an operational mindset. I, I think in initiatives and strategic plans, but at the forefront of everything is, is our people. And, uh, you know, back to what I said a moment ago, it, it really has begun with how I was raised. So I, I absolutely have my parents to thank for forming my leadership style. Uh, and, and I'll forever be a student of business um i love listening to podcasts and hearing about 
stories of other business professionals or just professionals in general. It doesn't have to be business. It can be in the arts or sports or whatever that might, uh, whatever uh, subject or topic, just individuals that have led a team and, and done successfully. Uh, so I'm always, always uh, learning. And uh, I think that's attributed to uh, some of the success I'm experiencing. There is a wonderful um, humility about you, either when you, you talk about your, your parents or you talk about the, the people that you work with or indeed yourself in terms of your, your leadership style or this learner mindset and, and continuing with you know, learning and, and, and wanting to, to acquire more learning. Michelle, what, where do you see your, your next opportunity, if, if you like, um, from either a personal or, or a business uh, point of view? I know you've, you've recently launched um, some, some online uh, service and, and product, but wh where do you see your, your next opportunity? Yes, um, it is. The timing is appropriate that you've asked me this because I've been quietly, uh, you know, I've been holding my cards really closely for the past few months. Um, uh, next year, I will actually uh, be leaving uh, my partnership um, with my with my business partners in, in hospitality, and um, I'll be venturing off into a, a new venture, and uh, it's still in the um, food space I, i've always going back to being an admirer of you know, the individuals that built starbucks and, and these iconic brands i've always thought like why not me like i really want to build a, a global brand one that's recognized and admired by employees and and customers all over the world so i started there but i didn't real like recognize what could that concept be and i'm peruvian and if you've if you know food really well you know that peruvian food is is fantastic and, and some of the best gastronomy in the world um, but the problem is is that peruvians are are awful marketers and i know i'm generalizing but um it, it, i i was so essentially what i'm going to go do to get to the point is i want to build the chipotle of peruvian food healthy fast food quick service concept uh, because uh, peruvian food is a hidden gem and i want to be the one that markets it globally while building company that adheres to the values of me as a professional and build a team who also want to align with those values um, so that's my next venture. Uh, part of the reason why I launched the course was to be able to fund this next venture. Um, my, I don't want any partners. I don't want any, any investors. Uh, I want to do this on my own. Um, because when, when a vision is trying to come out of me, I don't want any, any encumbrances. Uh, I, I love my partners like brothers. Uh, I, I so value investors, um, but I, I don't really want to have to report to anybody while this vision is trying to come out of me. I just want a clear runway and uh, it'll start in Toronto. And I have the ambitions of uh, making this uh, a global brand. 
it's going to be extraordinarily hard. Um, but I never really like taking the easy road. Um, I, I really like challenging myself because that's what keeps me engaged. So that's, you got it out of me. Not many people have been able to get me to share what I'm up to next, but that's what I'll be working on uh, in 2020 with a projected uh, open date for the first concept in Q2 or Q3 of 2020. Wow. I'm, I'm, I'm blown away. And, and I, I, I sensed even in my brief interactions with you and, and what I've been able to glean from the World Wide Web that there is this this drive and this this passion that that sits with within you and and clearly you know you've you've shared some of that today and and certainly with your book your your online program and and also the speaking you know you're able to pick up this this real desire and and real passion within you and it and it's great to to hear that you know in many ways you are going back to to part of your route with with that kind of full full-on you know focus uh, for, for next year and what you want to bring about yeah and you know what I, I have thought about this a lot in why is it that you want do why are you so obsessed with building this global multi-billion dollar brand and um I to be very honest I, I do carry myself with humility uh, but there is a part of me as well too that wants to be revered. Like there, you know, I want people to be like, "Wow, that guy did it!" Right? He said it, and he did it. And I'm going to be vocal about it. Like I'm going to be vocal saying, "In ten years, this will be a multi-billion-dollar company," because I want people to hold me accountable. I, I, at the end of my career, I want to say, "Wow, that was a really cool career." And so I'm really swinging for the fences. And you know, if I crash and burn, I crash and burn. But They'll, they'll, you know, it's just that motivation to always be challenged. And that's what keeps me going. I, I, I don't want to say I get bored easily by no means. Uh, uh, is that true? But I just need to constantly be challenged to myself. Um, and I, I hope, you know, your listeners, um, you know, pick up on that and, and perhaps reflect on, on their careers and their ambitions and saying, you know what, I'm too comfortable, right? Like I, I'm, I need change. I, I want to challenge myself. Maybe that's another role within the company, or maybe that's venturing off and doing your own thing. Right? That's what keeps me very engaged. Um, and, and I'm, I'm thankful that uh, I have these opportunities. I suspect from a, a listener point of view, there, there are many people out there that, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have had those thoughts provoked if, if they haven't previously around, you know, their own lives. And, you know, are, are, they, are they playing it small? Are they, are they choosing the comfortable life, which is fine? You know, we all have that choice. Or is there something that they, they, they're wanting to do and, and haven't done? And, and perhaps now, you know, they're, they're able to think about that slightly differently and, and, and draw some comfort in in, in what you're going to do. M Michelle, I'm, I'm fascinated uh, to understand from a, a personal perspective, given how much emphasis and, and focus is, is going to be put towards your, your work and, and, and growing this brand and, and launching the brand in the first place. What, what, what's the impact that that has on, on your own well-being uh, and your own balance? And what do you do to, you know, in some ways, put yourself first to make sure that you're, you're fit and able to, to function the way that you are and do what you do. 
Yeah, a very good question. Um, you know, there's uh, a lot of conversation um, around work-life balance, and I have an opinion on it. When people ask me, what's your method for work-life balance, I'll share it. But I'll say, look, there's an asterisk next to this. This works for me. It isn't necessarily going to work for everybody else because your definition of success, your priorities are different than mine. But on Friday, the last thing I do on Fridays if you looked at my calendar between uh, 4 and 5.30 p.m. Uh, before I say weekend starts, uh, I plan the week that's coming. And I have a methodology with how I plan my week. And the first thing that I plan is related to my health. So I'll say, okay, what days do I want to exercise? What is the exercise going to entail? Uh, the second thing I do is, is my personal things that I need to do, such as, you know, don't forget to call your mom on Tuesday night, have a long conversation with her or reconnect with a friend you haven't talked to in a long time. Then comes the work stuff. So I do prioritize my well-being and my personal and my family first before I start planning my career-related things. Uh, that helps me find a balance immediately. When it comes to, um, you know, I, I do work long days sometimes 10 hours, 12, 14, but that's by choice. Like I want to be doing this, but I also let the people around me know what to expect of me. So I live in Toronto. My family lives uh, in Vancouver and my closest friends live in Vancouver. So I uh, keep the relationships with them by investing on, on a weekly basis. Like, you know, it doesn't take very much effort to FaceTime somebody. Right. And, and, almost have that in-person relationship. But in Toronto, I have my long-term girlfriend and, and she knows what she has signed up for. She knows that we have had the conversation saying, look, there's going to be times where I am MIA and date night might not happen this week. And that's just being very aligned with the individuals closest to you and setting expectation. But there'll also be times where I'll say, you know what? I don't want to do anything today. I just want to watch Netflix or I just want to hang out with my dog for four hours at the park. So for me, um, if you ask anybody who's closest to me, they'll be like, Michelle's a robot. Uh, every hour is planned and accounted for. And that might sound very boring uh, to individuals, but it's all I know. It's what fulfills me. It's what energizes me. It's what allows me to do all these things. But I know that that's not the definition of success for everyone. So who am I to impose my method and say, this is the right formula? That, that's why I cringe whenever I read articles and business publications, like the most successful people wake up at 4am. Like that's not true at all. <laughs> right. Um, that's good for them but not necessarily good for everyone. So I kind of like to stay in my lane, but I, I, I'm not just one dimensional and a person that just works. That'd be very boring to me. Um, now I'm, I'm a student of this as well too. I came very, uh, less than 30 days ago, I came very close. I was on the brink of, ex uh, of exhaustion because uh, I pushed it too far. So that was a learning lesson for me. I said, you know, I took on too much. I won't do that again. And, you know, I, I just learn and pivot 
accordingly when I've found a new lesson or new methodology. So how I behave in a year from now, very likely that I'll behave a little differently than I do today. I love it in a number of ways. You're right, and, 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 and you're right to put the asterisks at the start of this particular point in the conversation, and that's around work-life balance, because clearly what, what works for you and, and allows you to, to function effectively and you know, spend the time with the important people in, in your life, it isn't gonna work for, for everybody else. And like you, I cringe when I read an article that talks about all these you know, super successful people who start the day at four or five o'clock. And I just think that we're giving the wrong message because their life is very different to, to our lives and your life is very different to, to my life. I, I, I think what I, what I take most from what you've shared there, Michelle, is, is having the awareness, uh, first and foremost, around what's important in your life. And it sounds that you do very much prioritize your own health and your relationships first and, and and then you look at your work and for some people you know they, they couldn't do it that way because work is all consuming and that's their driver and, and without being able to focus on work they, they, they struggle clearly within that and the caveat is that you know in 12 months time it may well be slightly different to that but again it's having that awareness of what's going on around you and certainly with your, your long-term partner to be able to have that level of honesty and conversation that says this might not happen this week or, or you know actually what I'm working on right now is going to take a lot of time and, and a lot of my energy away. Yeah I, I've, I've hosted many workshops on uh, organization um, and goal setting it's, it's nothing that is in my repertoire really I'm not an expert in it but some people have asked me uh, it happened a couple times this year where I hosted just an informal little workshop and uh, how I plan my weeks and, and stay motivated and, and accomplish so much. And one of the things that I said to the audience uh, on both occasions uh, was, show me how you plan your week and I'll tell you what's most important to you. And if people knee-jerk reaction are like, okay, this is the stuff I have to do for work. Okay, and then like at the very last thing, oh, and I should probably spend time with my daughter. I, I have a problem with that. Actually, pardon me, I, I regret saying that because I shouldn't have a problem with that. If, if somebody wants to find themselves in their work and put other things second, who am I to judge, right? Um, it, it, again, it's just find your lane, stay in it, be true to yourself. Um, and just know who you are as a, as a person. And for me, it's, um, you know, it's exactly how I plan my week. It's like my health stuff. And then I move on to my personal, then my work. Um, and none is more important than the other. Like they're all very important to me. Um, I just know that if I don't start with planning my health first, that will fall to the wayside. I know that I'm going to FaceTime my mom. I know that I'm going to call my closest friends and see how they're doing. It's just automatic for me. It's the health thing that comes first because I know that it'll fall to the wayside if I don't get it scheduled first. Yeah, again, it's, it's interesting to, to get your take on it and, and, and get your thoughts on it. 
And that's one of the key things that, that I, I look to draw out from my guests is, is their own view and, and what works for them, but at the same time being mindful that, that it might not work for, for anybody else. I, I, I'm, I'm almost fed up and frustrated of reading you know, those articles that, that, that say seven ways to get a better work-life balance or try these 21 life hacks for, for better balance. It's, it's, for me, it comes back to that awareness, first and foremost, of yourself and what's going on in your life and what's important. And then, you know, finding something that, that works for you and it will be very personal and it will take some, some practice and, and some tweaking because invariably things change. But, you know, it frustrates me to, to see more and more of those articles coming out. And, and I think the reason is because ultimately, you know, there's not enough people that are happy. Um, when you're not happy or you're caught up with, you know, other things that are going on, either in work or in life, where you don't feel this sense of purpose, that's where people are looking for, for answers and then start to question their work-life balance. Mm. Michelle, I have what I call some 60-second uh, quick-fire questions, which sure I ask my guests towards the end of each interview. And... And that's really just to get a, a, a slightly different um, picture of, of each of my guests. So are you ready to answer some quick fire questions? Absolutely. Okay. First up then, who or what inspires you the most? My family. Okay. I thought you might say that. Three guests to have to dinner, past or present. Uh, Steve Eiserman. He's a hockey player for a retired hockey player from the Detroit Red Wings. Um, uh, Howard Schultz from Starbucks and Kat Cole. Uh, she is the COO of um, this franchise-based company um, that uh, I just really admire how she carries herself and uh, leads. Those are the first three that come to mind immediately once, uh, once you've asked me that okay good i'm sure with a bit more time that that list would be a little longer a guilty pleasure should you view it that way which you do when you have some time to yourself uh eat um my favorite cuisine would be pizza so that's what i my girlfriend and i will always find the time to try a new restaurants uh but it, it's definitely that okay a book or a podcast that you would recommend okay so it would be the podcast route um and it would be how i built this npr's how i built this uh it's a podcast about uh it's an interview based podcast um interviewing successful leaders in, in business and i just admire every story that's told Okay, and what's your one tip for improving overall well-being? Be very cognizant of yourself um, before you try to help others. Um, like, be comfortable in your your own skin and your own methodologies that you you use to better yourself before trying to help others. I we need to be spending more time on ourselves, uh, just because you're a leader. Uh, doesn't mean that you're going to be a successful leader from a year from now without investing in yourself first. Brilliant. Michelle, I have three final questions for you. Who would you recommend as a future guest on the show? Okay. 
Cameron Harold. He is uh, the former COO of 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Um, and he is somebody that I've learned from for the past 10 years. Okay, fabulous. How can listeners find out more about you? I have been blessed and cursed with this unique name. Um, blessed because it's easy to find me online as long as you don't spell my name Michael. Uh, so if you just go to Google and type in Michelle Falcon, you'll go to my website, you'll go to LinkedIn, YouTube. You can start there and just whatever method or channel makes sense to you, you can find me there. Um, but uh, I, if anybody's listening and is active on LinkedIn, I am most active on LinkedIn. Okay, brilliant. And a final takeaway for the listeners. Audit. If you truly want to give yourself and build this great company that's admired by employees and customers, audit what you've been doing for the last few years and take a look and, and be honest with yourself and say, are our actions following what we've, we're preaching? And uh, if not, then it's time to change. Um, make, some, make some changes to the way that you are building programs within your business or, or in yourself as a leader. Uh, just constantly be audit, auditing your performance. Michelle, what a wonderful message to leave the listeners with today. Thank you very much indeed for agreeing to take some time out to come on the show. It, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, to get some insight and some nuggets from you. So thank you very much indeed. Jeff, thank you very much uh, for inviting me. I, I really, really appreciate it. And I very much enjoyed the conversation. Michelle, thank you again, and and thank you for you know choosing to to share what you you've shared uh, with me and and also the listeners. It sounds absolutely fascinating, exciting, and scary as hell in terms of what you're planning to do uh, with, with your new venture. But um, I shall admire from a distance over the water uh, with with intrigue. But yeah, thank you again. I, I really can't you know thank you enough for taking some time out. Fantastic. Have a good day. Now, if you've enjoyed the show and want to start a conversation with Michelle, you can find him on Twitter, LinkedIn, and also Instagram. Details, as always, are included in the show notes. Alternatively, check out the latest blog on the Ignite Performance website, where you'll find out more about Michelle and a people-first culture. If you've enjoyed the episode you can leave the show a rating and a short review on iTunes. That will be brilliant and it does help us reach a bigger audience. Certainly check out all the other episodes if this is the first one that you've found so far. Tune in next time to hear my interview with Gavin Bell, Facebook advertising consultant, vlogger and also a speaker. Gavin was recommended by the brilliant Gavin Oates who appeared on the show all the way back on episode 14 at the start of series 2. Until then, remember this. When you have a balance, enjoy it. When you've got an imbalance, embrace it. For in those moments, we're striving towards achieving our next success, increasing our happiness, or looking for greater fulfilment. Bye for now.